Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in today to the Inscape Quest podcast show. I am your host, Trudy Howley. Here I am talking with people about how they engage with their relationships, work, and passions. Please subscribe and share this show with a friend, and thanks to you, we can grow meaningful conversations together, one episode at a time. Today, I'm sitting down with a favorite of mine, Anne Satori. Anne is a Benedictine Oblate candidate at St. Placid's Monastery, a mother to a creative darling daughter, a psychologist and psychoanalyst. Anne Satori is often trying to find a way to express her relationship with the divine, humanity, animals, nature, love, and war. She is giving poetry a try. She spends each morning contemplating the beauty in our world, praying for restraint and right speech, and for the ability to keep listening to veterans share their heartfelt and painful experiences in the military. Welcome, Anne. I'm really excited to talk to you today and to learn more about your experiences working with veterans. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Trudy. It's good to be here today. As I know you've been using poetry as a way of expressing yourself. How did you come to discover poetry was a great outlet for you? It really came as a surprise. I've been working with veterans for many years. And throughout that process, I have felt so many things, you know, really uh, furious about the things I've heard about the injustices I have felt um, very sad, um, really appreciated uh, learning so much from them. I have always been someone who, who spends time in nature to help me regulate my nervous system and bring me back to earth and keep me grounded. And I started to do some work at the Warrior Story Field, which is a nonprofit that works with veterans, and we do metal work. And one of the members there suggested a writing course, which I uh, took, um, and suddenly I started to write. And I'm really struck by the number of beautiful poems that you've shared with me ahead of being able to talk today. And one of them in particular really stood out to me, which is called Soul Murder. And I'm hoping that you're willing to read that to our listeners. Could you maybe explain how you came to choose that particular title? I remember the term soul murder when I was uh, in psychoanalytic training and Leonard Schengold coined this term. And he talks about it as the perpetuation of brutal or subtle acts against children or adults. And this results in an emotional bondage to the abuser and psychic and spiritual annihilation. When people in power commit, facilitate, or justify crimes, 
in the guise of discipline, parenting, or war. Profound inner confusion results in our developing psyche. I think when we see sadistic parents or leaders as our models, their wounds become our wounds. Their patterns can be perpetuated for generations. What I began to hear from many men and women in war is that they were forced to um, kill uh, when it wasn't necessary. This poem is written to the leaders who dishonor those who serve when they enforce sadistic, self-serving acts. And then when pardoned by our country's leaders, which I see as another sadistic act, that ignorance perpetuates the cycle of abuse and suicide, which we know is very high in the veteran population. So that's very powerful in terms of trying to understand and share to the rest of the world. Uh, Would you be willing to go ahead and read your poem? The poem is called Soul Murder. I don't want to know your name. I will taunt and jeer. You will kill for me. Pull the trigger, shoot to the field. Innocent screams, bleeding, broken hearts. Where there is muck, you will find me, hovering, seeking brass and blood. Bend and burn the brass, make it your own, lost soul. Devil that I am, devil that I am, devil that I am. Thank you, Anne. That's bringing up so many questions as well as being able to sit and reflect on your words. I'm wondering if we can just note for a moment how PTSD comes in so many different forms in veterans. Taking a moment to reflect on how do you manage not only dealing with their PTSD, but finding the capacity in yourself to hear these painful experiences? It is difficult, Trudy. As I started to interview veterans over the last years, I did not realize uh, how complex this work would be and how powerful and how emotional uh, I would feel uh, right along with them, actually. PTSD does not have... I don't think the general public has a good understanding of PTSD. And I think when it comes to veterans, there's always a negative. You know, a veteran has PTSD and they're going to lose control or they're going to shoot someone and um, that it's a very dangerous and scary concept. What we know in neuroscience is, and I say it simply to them, In training, it begins that when they're trained to be in a state of hyperarousal, on alert, they have to be wary of everything around them. They're protecting their brothers and sisters. They're trying to make sure they uh, aren't hurt or killed as well. And that requires an amount of attention that's really quite extreme. What they don't realize is that when they come home, that 
activation in their body wants to be kindled. What that means is that like starting a fire, their brain has been kindled and they look for situations to activate their brain. And this is not a conscious process, but it's why we see many go into the police force and first responder jobs. And even though I'd rather not have anybody but them take care of me on the street, it really probably isn't the best for their PTSD. And I see PTSD is a brain issue and a heart and soul issue is what they've taught me. I love the fact that you bring the heart and soul into the brain issue as well and combining those things because, you know, I understand the stigma around this conversation we're having today. Spouses and partners and the general public often don't get it, don't want to talk about it. As we navigate learning how to have real conversations and support these people that do live in extreme stress. You know, as you said, neuroscience has shown that brain changes occur when a person is under extreme stress. Also, how do we manage psychosocial interventions after the fact? And I know it's a big question. Trudy, I think what surprised um, many things have, but the one that struck my heart is when a gentleman who was in special forces, an elite team who'd been deployed to Afghanistan six times, he was out of the army now. Right in the middle of our interview, he holds his arms like he's holding an infant and says, I don't know if I'm allowed to love my son. This is my first child. When I look at him, all I can see is shooting the father, the Afghani father and his little boy hanging on his legs. And he'll never have his son. Mm. And I go over and over in my mind and I struggle with being connected to my son. This is what I hear more and more of. And there's a term called moral injury that is used now to describe these kind of situations where, like this gentleman, his job was to kill. He did kill. And he has profound feelings about it now. I have many men and women talk to me about these feelings of guilt or shame or blame. Sometimes it's the gentleman who sprains his ankle and and his buddy has to go on the mission and doesn't come back. It's the woman who's a medic who can't save everyone or has to make difficult choices in who she treats medically. These are very difficult decisions for any of us as adults. And then here we have these people in their late teens and 20s and 30s It affects who they are. I'm wondering if you could maybe expand on what the definition of moral injury is. Yes. In situations such as military training or war, there are often traumas that occur. There are motor vehicle accidents. There's sadistic training. There's being out and in combat and killing. And when someone does something that goes against their belief, 
it's referred to as an act of commission. And when they fail to do something in line with their beliefs, it's an act of omission. They may experience betrayal from leaderships or others in power or peers. They may have joined peers in actions in war that they would not otherwise do. So it's a distressing psychological, social, and often spiritual dilemma for people. And so it's an injury that occurs in response to acting or witnessing behaviors that go against your values or moral beliefs. And these often result in guilt, shame, disgust, anger, Mm -hmm. and feeling remorse. And often it gets in the way of connecting in a real way with others when they come home, with their children, with their husbands and wives in the community. I think we're finding that it also is another factor in increasing the risk of suicide. Thank you for expanding on that. From a cultural and political point of view, there's a lot of bipartisan talk around the subject of the military, but I personally feel we we do need defence, as I'm sure many others do as well, that we, we find a way to support these young people and do the military differently. There's so many ways we could have this challenging conversation today, ultimately hoping that we can find ways to support people. Would you like to speak to that a little more in terms of, I know you've already mentioned education and psychoeducation. Right, Trudy, it is complicated. I think if we have people who are trained specifically in working with military Mm -hmm. and are educated in the complexities that could actually provide care that's frequent and in-depth, that it would be helpful. The veterans that I've seen, and this is over 4,000, some are getting good care, and yet many aren't seen enough. I know you've done some really beautiful, creative projects with veterans outside of a typical office setting that you've done equine therapy, and you're involved in the warrior story field. So I'd love it if you could just share some some of those two things so we can just broaden our understanding. Yes, what I found over the years is that veterans working with each other uh, on projects such as the warrior story field and in equine therapy, I think, offers them something different than sitting in a chair with a therapist. I think for most veterans, that's not very appealing. Equine therapy, I found that veterans really do connect with horses and horses connect with veterans. And they seem to go right to the heart. It's much more acceptable for a veteran to accept a horse therapy than it is a human's therapy. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I 
just thinking of a particular example when I work with a group of veterans and we had the herd of horses and I'd invited one particular person to go a horse that he wanted to work with and his way of doing it was to create chaos and have the whole herd running and separate the one horse he wanted to work with from the rest of the field (laughs) worked with other ways about maybe approaching the horse quietly and being relational to me there was a very clear differentiation of being in active service and the chaotic part and maybe finding an alternative way of relating which would translate to coming home and being with others that's true and i and that's what we see we actually did a study where we looked at veterans working with horses over time and this was a group of about 8 veterans vietnam veterans who were seen weekly for 2 years and what we looked at was would their relationships with people in the rest of their life improve would their Uh, ability to manage their emotions and improve for two examples and they did horses teach you how to be in the present and we work a lot with veterans in their bodies to be able to find a place where they can feel calm and safe yeah so that makes sense in terms of educating them through the experience of being with the horses to move from this state of being in intense stress or trauma into base functioning basic relationships i think what the warrior story field offers which is a different uh, therapeutic method is it's a group of veterans and civilians who are creating Uh, two metal sculptures and one is a dragon representing war and the other is a phoenix representing transformation and this project has been going on for over seven years the sculptures are 16 foot high and the veterans meet weekly several days a week and they've created a community of truth and honesty and love and work together and they're creating something tangible which i think is so important for veterans who are used to working together having a project together having a mission and accomplishing the mission that's really striking me because this buddy system that the military engage in it's like they're literally depending on each other for their lives so i love the way you're describing this as a community project that they can come together and work on something because that's so ingrained in the military you know i wonder about isolation as a factor in the high suicide rates for veterans I think many veterans feel overwhelmed and they feel ashamed by what they're experiencing. Don't have the resources either within their family or community. 
what we're finding is the moral injury that we talked about previously too, feelings of guilt and shame for actions that they participated in war so contributes to suicide. And then I think we know drugs and alcohol as well. In terms of us as a general population and community supporting this intense, extreme life that the veterans are engaged in, how can we help them shift in and out to normal life, for want of a better word, like shifting in and out from being involved in extreme combat where you're killing people and then you've got to come home to your partner and parent. That seems to be a really challenging thing to do and how can we help and not judge those people that are faced with that challenge? Those are good questions, Trudy, and I've asked myself that as well. I find that the programs where there's men, whether it's another veteran in the community who has successfully transitioned in their life and able to work with some of the younger veterans coming out can be very helpful. So as you, as you talk about younger veterans as well, with these young people that may actually have some psychological trauma before they even become active military, how can they be supported in the very early stages of their career and trainings? That is a difficult question, I think. There are many that I've met with over the years that uh, had already experienced sexual abuse, physical abuse, extreme poverty, uh, neglect. And they really often go into the military looking for leadership, looking for a way out. And that can occur in the military. And it can occur when there's leadership that's educated and sensitive to these issues. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. In fact, their trauma can be exacerbated. With the idea of being warrior ready all the time and how drugs and alcohol are such a part of the culture with pain medication and thinking about this time to regroup is is pretty limited in the military the general public can kind of get real about what we're asking of these people to give us the luxuries that we can enjoy as a free population be less judging and more supportive and more serving of the military how can we start do you have a place to suggest where the the average person can just start to learn about the military i think there's so much online now there's so many good books that are out there and i think the recent documentary father soldier son that's on netflix i believe uh, is one place to understand how powerful the military culture is within one family. 
And it's one aspect of it. There's a book called Downrange from Iraq and Back that talks about a veteran's experiences coming home. I think for those who like like to know more about equine therapy, there's a wonderful documentary called Riding My Way Back. And it's about a veteran who was very suicidal and started to get involved in an equine program in Washington State, was transformed by those experiences. There is hope, and I think that's what I always go back to that there are resources, there is hope. I think what's difficult is the veterans often aren't informed of the things that are available. Well, thank you for sharing your experiences and those resources, and we'll certainly add some other resources at the end of this podcast. In terms of hope and building this capacity for tolerance and resilience amongst veterans and those that are helping them as well, I just want to say thank you for your work that you've contributed to them and to come back to you and just kind of recapping where you find your patience and forgiveness here in the work that you do what what nourishes you today again my writing does my relationships with friends being in nature and being with the veterans is very life-giving in its own way Mm. I really believe in unity and the community reach out and help each other we have stronger communities Well, thank you so much for being here today and contributing to the education of our listeners around this very complex and important topic. So thank you. Thank you, Trudy. If you or you know someone who needs to get help now, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK-8255 and press 1 if you're a veteran. You can also get information or chat online at the Veterans Crisis Line. The following websites may have information of interest to you, ptsd.va.gov, militaryhelpline.org, and objectivezero.org. Be well and take care. Thank you for listening to the Inscape Quest podcast with Trudy Howley. If you like this show and want to send questions or submit topics you'd like to hear about on your podcast, you can find me on Instagram at InscapeQuest. Thank you for listening and for your shares, subscriptions, and downloads. Cheerio. If you or you know someone who needs to get help now, you can reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 
273-TALK-8255 and press 1 if you're a veteran. You can also get information or chat online at the Veterans Crisis Line. The following websites may have information of interest to you. ptsd.va.gov, militaryhelpline.org, and objectivezero.org. Be well and take care.